I'm James Dart, co-founder of Inspire You and Yes, I Will Vote, and welcome to the third episode of Ramona Telling Our Story podcast series. On today's episode, we have Anthea Simmons, well-known figure in our community, one of the leading grassroots um, campaigners out there. We discuss all things from what the future holds for our community, where we went wrong in the past, and why the grassroots is so important both then and now. Hope you enjoy. So Anthea, hi. Hi there. Hi, Hi James. <laughs> Thank you for being um, on Ramona's Telling Our Story um, podcast. As I said to you just a minute ago, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title, but with the idea of telling the um, stories of the main campaigners from the sort of People's Vote period, so that's the period from the referendum through to the 2019 general election, um, documenting those those stories. And uh, your story, I think, obviously, you and I, we've known each other for a little while, both um, sort of Devon for Europe, uh, which we'll come to later on. But to start with, I want to know who Anthea is. So yeah, who, who is Anthea? And what, what were you doing prior to all of this uh, pro-EU stuff? I was, um, well, my background is I'm ex-city. Um, I was in asset management, quit in 2000, and I've been sort of uh, raising my son and pottering about in the West Country, basically. And I got very involved in um, a campaign to improve access to opportunity for minority groups okay. and for and to get more women on boards. And I'm afraid I'm one of those people who didn't, who assumed, I think, that um, we would stay in and that Remain would win. And I, I mean, apart from wearing badges and stickers and I, I didn't really get involved in any kind of campaigning before at all I'm ashamed to say and um, I got involved really because I went up to a conference at the QE2 so I got involved only in 2017 actually 17, yeah okay yeah to my shame yeah well that's not shameful is it mm. like I think as a lot of the campaigners who, who ended up campaigning in the sort of P the PV period, a lot of them did come into it after the vote, didn't they? Because they saw, they I guess they assumed like a bit like you and I did that it was going to be the way of remain. Why, why should we be too concerned? Mm. I mean, I thought you are one of the things. You know, what, what was I doing when and the actual vote itself? Well, I think just crying really. You know, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I absolutely no. couldn't. You know. I think we all, what most of us, I'm sure, stayed up all night listening and heard the Farage little spike for the pound. I'm sure that was just a stunt to give the Pedgies a bit of a turn on the on Sterling. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I was just just devastated, and I think I was, you know, I just went around in a cloud of devastation and also real fury at how little other people cared about it. It's mm. like, why aren't you bothered? Mm. This is bad. Oh well, you know, there you go. Win some, lose some. It's just my, I mean, I fell out with a lot of people very quickly. Like friends um, and family, you mean or yes, because it's yeah. just just because of the apathy. Right. Um, and so I sort of got I got involved in a way in that I was um, you know, blogging or tweeting or Facebooking about how upset I was and yeah. trying to find kindred spirits around me. And then I think I saw a Facebook post. Uh actually, I'll be briefly frank, I saw I saw dear Peter Sturgis, you know, with this ponytail and everything. And I thought, oh, it's just Totnes weirdos, you know, <laughs> just not gonna, it's not really for me. And I was in East Devon. And then I went up to that um, that conference and I spoke to Mike Goldsworthy and Ian Dunt. 
and then I met Peter again with a few other people and I and they explained that they were really very much in central Devon and South Hams and I thought oh well maybe we could do with having something in um, East you know Tiverton Honiton which of course is incredibly leavy and um, so Alex you know founder of Devon for Europe came around yep. with Peter and they put me through the ringer to see if I was serious or and that was it that's how I got I got stuck in you didn't make that ponytail joke to, to Peter did you <laughs> I did actually tell Peter once that there was a stage where I thought, whoa, okay, we're talking, uh, you know, Devon twinned with Narnia here, so. <laughs> just on the ponytail. Imagine if you'd have just been like, the ponytail's too much, not for me, sorry, I'm out at that stage. No. Uh, That's one thing you learn campaigning, you must, must, must not judge people by the package they come in. It really is a big, big mistake. Or just, gen- or just generally in life, really. Just but. generally. Oh, just generally. But I mean, you know, when you're standing on a street stall and somebody comes up to you and you think, in the early days, you think you know yeah. what, which way they voted. Yeah, yeah. And no, I've actually got... You do. I, I, one of the, I think it was the only time I did a street stall in Plymouth. Um, there was obviously Plymouth, as you know, you, you, I'm sure you did plenty of... Uh, Lots. Street stalls there. <laughs> is a, a quite a different street stall area to, to, to Exeter and other parts. Um, a little bit, yeah, a bit more rough and tumble. And there was a guy who came up to the stall um, and he was walking right up to me. He looked, he looked fairly angry, um, bold head, and like, but, his, but his bold head was covered in tattoos and tattoos all in every part of his skin that I could see. And he was wearing a tracksuit, you know, and he just, you looked at him and you just thought, without, you know, wanting to seem too judgmental, you looked at him and you just thought, this could be trouble potentially. Um, and he came up and he was just the most lovely, well-spoken guy. He was from Uzbekistan or, or I think one of the countries around there. And he, he was just like, I can't believe what you've done to a country. Like, mm. sad. like I thought you were this really tolerant, like sensible country. I just can't understand it. And I was like, oh, I've misjudged you, mate. I have totally misjudged you. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Like sometimes it's just it's inbuilt in us, isn't it? To, to see something. To, and to, Unconscious uh, bias. We just. We yeah, all exactly. It. Yeah. Mm. But no, that was a, that for me. That was like, a, oh, okay. I need to be a bit more um, open-minded when I'm doing street stores and stuff, because clearly, you know. Um, but no, let's get, so let's go back to Devon for Europe. So Devon for Europe. You, so you joined Devon for Europe in 2017. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And I ran my first street stall in Axminster um, in um, in the autumn of 2017. Yeah. And what what was it you were at that stage? Were you thinking I want to stop Brexit? Is that is that was that your goal, or were you thinking? keep the conversation alive, see where it takes us. What were the aims at that stop stage? It. Stop, stop it. it. Yes, yeah, it. absolutely stop it. Yeah. You know, and make people aware, you know, make them think, oh my God, that was a terrible mistake. You know, we had a protest vote and we didn't like the look of, you know, we didn't stand Cameron or whatever it was and just say, oh, actually, we don't really, really want to do that. We just, yeah. you know, we just need some change, but that's maybe not the change that we need. So yes, it was definitely stop it. And, and we, on the on the street where you get because obviously the, the few that I did, um, we had the Brexitometer thing where we, we put our we voted, didn't we, for you know, yeah. is it going Actually, well? Actually, that was Dem for Dem for Europe sent that viral because we did we did one in Sidmouth. I saw I, somebody at Shropshire, I think, had done one, but yeah. it was very sort of minor, and I thought, oh, this will, we should roll this out everywhere. Yeah. So we uh, did one at Sidmouth, who I think we were the and then we tweeted it and it just got 
hundreds of people just went, oh, we want to do that. And later on in the campaign, we did a moodometer because we wanted right. to engage more with what people felt. You know, how is it making yeah. you feel? You know, yeah. exhausted, bored, fed up, you know, angry, whatever it was. So a very useful tool, actually, yeah. to engage with the public. There it was. And I found, um, actually, of all the sort of like frontline campaigning that I've done, I actually found that the most fun and engaging because it drew people in, even if they didn't really know what, what, what the hell it was. They were like, oh, I quite like voting for stuff. I don't care what it yeah. is. I'll just come mm. over. And that was so that was just a good hook, wasn't it? A good engagement. Very good hook. And the other thing is often you'd have you, you might have couples or groups of, of friends who would come up and one of them would put a put a sticker in someone that said, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Or I don't care what it's going to cost us. I want it regardless. And they'd be looking at the person saying, what? You're putting it there? And they go, yep. And the people say, never knew. How many marriages did you, did Devon for you break up, Anthea? Well, I think one of the best, one of the best, we don't think we broke it up, but the husband and wife came, the husband gave a load of spiel about, you know, you're mad, you're you're anti-democratic, you're unpatriotic, and, you know, how he was going to move to Spain anyway, so he didn't really care. And his wife was just mouthing behind his back, I'm a Remainer. <laughs> and as as they walked away, she picked up a bollocks to Brexit sticker and slapped it on his back and said, "Come on, darling, let's not talk about this anymore." And then really, yeah. another one and put another one on him too. And this guy, so he's going through Exeter with bollocks <laughs> to Brexit on his back, and the wife was like, "That was oh. you know, thumbs up, top result." <laughs> I did see, I did see quite a lot of that actually. I when I um, oh, I suppose actually I should back backtrack a little bit I got involved with the with the Lib Dems in Axminster because I thought we've got to have somebody who can overthrow this you know and I sort of campaigned on the street for them and I so I was, that, was, that before, was that before was that before Dem for Europe before before Dem for okay. Europe yes yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, there was a we had an out of town candidate it was very hard you know because he was hardly there and it was it was just a very hard sell um but I really wanted to, I was campaigning on the basis, you've got a chance to reverse this. You know, if we get Lib Dems in or they get the whole balance of power, we can change the direction. And I remember going to some of the estates in, in Axminster and having people come out and say that I should be hung, I should be shot, I should be strung up. What did I think I was doing? And these, are, these were 70, 80 year old white men. Yeah who were incredibly aggressive and weird, weird very, part. very chippy and angry. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you've got what you want, you know, what's your problem? Yeah, yeah, hmm. Very, very strange. It was, and that's, for me, that's, I, I, I remember just thinking, as a school teacher, this sort of behaviour, some of this sort of behaviour would just get you expelled from school. Like, it's the yeah. sort of, it's the, just like, it, the behavior was so extreme for, for grown adults who many of them were professionals in their own right. They would never behave that way in, in, the, in like a professional to just to just walk up to people on the street and, and to use some of the language and to be. Mm. I just thought something has gone wrong in society. Like there's, mm. there's been a breakdown of like social norms here. Like this is not how we speak to each other. Even people. Even people we loathe, like you and I, like we probably loathe like the far right, you know, like EDL types, Tommy Robinson. But we would never mm. go up to them in the street, partly because it would be a bad idea to do that anyway. But but we would never we would never think to go up to them and just be really abusive in their face. Mm. I know. I I had conversations with people where I said, "Are you listening to yourself? Is this the yeah. person you really are? Yeah. 
are you really this vicious rude is that is that what you are but yeah. it did feel like a stone had been overturned and all these things had crept out and they felt legitimized mm. and able to say exactly what they wanted which was very very sad i think it i think one of the most draining aspects of campaigning is it was seeing so much ugliness and mm. and bile and just thinking all this stuff was here all the time yeah. and now it's out you know the genie's out of the bottle we're not going to get this back in again very easily no so and we've seen obviously, but on the other hand but on the other hand on the other you hand. get people rushing up to the stall saying oh my god thank you so much thank god somebody's on our side you know i didn't realize there was anybody who was still trying to fight this and you know families yeah. in, in tears yeah. and you know, i mean some really moving conversations and the people clamoring to sign up human emotion wasn't it like yeah, mm. elation and and relief all the way down to just as you said just abuse like yeah mm. it was i mean we had a we had a thing where we had um a guy from a danish leading danish newspaper came and spent um 48 hours with me and um he was just shocked we did again it happened that we were doing another stall in axminster which can be is a pretty tricky place and a guy was jabbing me in the chest you know and this was not you know he was just saying how do you stand that mm. that that degree of physical abuse he said after all you've had an mp killed mm. Mm. <laughs> do you feel unsafe do you feel you should have protection and i said i'm sure you know we're not it's not going to get to that but it, there are times when you think i'm glad there are other people here and then we had a rule you know we had to bring in alex obviously concerned about the team said you cannot run a stall unless there are five of you yeah once it kind of you know once the kind of aggression stepped up yeah that and you don't set up and you don't start until all five people are there yeah. and we even had often in some places we had spotters we never needed them actually but, you know, if you see somebody a bit leery coming towards you and they've had a bit of drink and you know, they're feeling yeah. they want to fight and just, just somebody watching out to diffuse any situations. Yeah. And that's the I thing. Actually, I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say just sometimes our polite, our sheer politeness and niceness yeah. really wound them up sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> I think, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like it killed them with kindness sort of, it, it, it does. I guess in some in some cases it can go the other way, but often it just de-escalates because if you're, and that's the sort of thing that I guess you you learn in a lot in like in a lot of different settings, isn't it? Is like how to how to de-escalate situations where there's a lot of heat and tension and stuff. But I remember when I, I was in um I was at a Sodom protest, um and the the yellow vest guys turned up, the, you know the, the sort of the far right, mm. um, and I made the mistake of of actually referring to one of them because he was saying he was, you know, we should hang this person and he was using the sort of the far right, you know, um, like textbook of all the phrases that you, and I think I think I may have said like, oh, you know, you, you fascist or something. And I could just see him just go, like, I could just see I was this close away from him, like actually physically assaulted me. Um, and I remember just thinking, right, now I just need to de-escalate this a little bit. So I tried to use humor to de-escalate it. It didn't really work. So I ended up just walking away and I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again, even now. I mean, I, I, they, they were literally behaving like proper far right thugs, you know, coming up and being like, move, we're here now, get out of the way, leave. And I was like, no, mm. I'm not bowing. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm standing up for myself, I'm not moving too fascist or something. And then I was kind of like, actually, there's 20 of you and there's like six of us. And yeah, you've all got the potential to actually just batter us if you wanted to. And they were, to be fair, there were police around and stuff, but I just thought, mm. 
it only takes one time, doesn't it? And we've seen, we saw, we saw what happened in America last week. So yes, I mean, exactly. Exactly. Um, right, let's move on because we've spoken mm. about that. So um, I wanted to ask you, do you think, obviously, the overall aim of, of Devon Fear, which was the same aim as all the pro EU groups around the UK, was ultimately to, to stop Brexit or to force the people's vote to give the people the chance to have another say, having known the facts and blah, blah, blah. Um, do you feel like Devon for Europe was successful in what it's out to achieve other than and you know, stopping Brexit? Do you feel like, for, for, for me, I'll just give you my opinion first. I thought Devon for Europe was, was one of the best examples of grass, community building, grassroots campaigning. I thought you guys were among the best in the UK that, that, that I've worked with. But, but I mean, mm. to your mind, what, did you feel like it was, it was, you, you were witnessing like really successful campaigning? Yeah, I, th I think at the heart of it, um, Alex set up a very, very good team. Yeah. And we were very stable as a team. Yeah. And we were very, very committed and very passionate. And um, because we had teams in each of the areas, you had their own, so they had their own figurehead, local leader, figurehead person to rallied them around. And people were highly motivated to run those stalls and to reach out to people. And the fact that we put on so many supporters, subscribers, I think at the peak we had 17,000, you know, on the database, which is not bad, you know, it's pretty good from nowhere. No, no, really and, good. And then the fact that we, you know, Alex has always been very focused on single-minded messaging, you know, don't dilute the, don't get di distracted by trying to bring in other stuff, just keep it all very, very simple. And we had, you know, he's a good designer. We had very, very good leaflets. We, ne we never used any of the PV ones, I have to say. Mm. We did our own and we did very, very local stuff. I mean, we ran, um, he and I designed a leaflet together that was explicitly for Johnny Mercer's constituency. Um, and it was about local issues and it was in, was in Plymouth Argyle colours and we had delivered it to all the letterboxes, you know, teams of us. And so it's just really, really thinking, what do these people want to know about? What do they want to, you know, what's the thing that's really sticking in their core at the moment? Why did they vote the way they did? So in terms of building up and that reaching out beyond the bubble, I, th I, you know, I think we did, a, we did a pretty good job. I mean, obviously the, the tragedy is it was then absolutely all blasted out of the way by that blooming election. Yes. It could have been such a different outcome. I think it would have been a very, very different outcome. Had the Lib Dems and Labour held their nerve and just... Yeah, and just gone for that, gone for that vote. Yeah. Gone for that people's vote. I yeah. think, I think we would have, we would have won it. I'm sure we would have won it. Oh, the, the referendum, the, 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 the people's vote yes, referendum. referendum. Oh, yeah. Have, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Definitely have won it. Totally. Yeah, the, 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 wind, the, the wind had changed, like... It was blowing in our direction. It had been for, like, I reckon, for about two years. You know, the mm, polling showed yeah. that. Um, and there were more young people coming in, you know, and some of the oldies were sort of going out. And yeah, the just the math looked as though it was definitely there for us. It was there for the, which is why obviously the Brexiters completely refused and tried every trick in the book to make sure that there wasn't mm. a vote because they knew they would yeah. lose a second vote. So. And when we ran some very good campaigns saying basically to people, you know, if you want to make Brexit go away, there's only one way. And that's just to stop it, you know, just to vote against it when you get the chance. Ask for a chance to vote against it, vote against it. Yeah. And that really did chime with people because of course, a lot of people are just fed up with the whole thing. 
And, you know, we tried to explain to them that even if there was a deal, it wasn't the end at all. Perhaps it was going to be on the agenda, however much Reese Mogg might try and hide it away by shutting down committees and things. It's mm. going to be on the agenda for, for years. Yep. So that that really chimed. Um, so I think, you know, what was it about them for Europe? I think the, the, the leadership, um, the team, uh, the um, obviously fantastic supporters, and also the fact that we were really proactive about getting people up to um, Sodom protests. You know, all the meaningful votes, meaningless votes, we ran, we ran um, coaches up to there. That made people feel they were really fired up. You know, they thought, yeah. great, I'm part of something and I'm doing something. Yeah. And then we ran masses of coaches to all the major marches. And again, that was that that made people feel. I think they want to be identified with something that's dynamic and determined. I mean, there are times when I look back and I think. I feel a bit guilty about how much how much commitment and belief we had in the fact that we could change stop it and sometimes I think of some of those events I attended where you know they were looking to you for hope and you say we can do this we can do this thing and people are like they're really at their bottom, you know, the wits end. And then they go out of that meeting and they go, yeah, I believe, yeah, I'm fired up too. And I believe in you think we let, you know, the politicians let us down, actually. Well, I we was about to we say, yeah. We I... didn't let them down. But but I still think what's very interesting is how much they need us now mm. in terms of pastoral care and scooping mm. them up. And we have these Euro Cafe, virtual cafe things every Saturday. And we started doing some evening things and and running some events again and people are desperate for it and we've had a massive jump massive jump in um facebook follower you know for to the group since january the first really yeah and, and people i don't think have been engaged with it a bit like you know after the election after the the referendum suddenly people went oh god you know i want to be involved yeah it's another thing it's the same phenomenon all over again people who weren't involved before now saying oh, crikey I need to be with fellow Europeans. I'm desperate. Do you, do you think that the people who are coming now are people who were previously apathetic or people who were previously pro-Brexit and now regret, you know, now regretting the fact which way around? I think there are one or two, one or two Remain and Our right. types. Yeah. But I think a lot of them are people who um, were disengaged. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The people I call the shruggers. It's like, what can you do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And now I think those people are, are sort of really feeling the pain of of the divorce. Mm. And uh, they want to cling to they want to find like minded people. And when we when we add them to our our group, you just get these messages of, oh, thank God you're out there. And thank God I found you. And I felt so alone. And it's, it's just extraordinary. And, and I think that's one of the most I've just written an article for it in, in West Country Bylines, actually, about how we're being asked to suck it up and say, oh, well, you know, we lost, we've got to get over it and come together and all the rest of it. But mm. we really can't. We really can't without people admitting guilt, paying a penalty for lying and some sort of atonement. You know, why Why should we say, oh, well, all right, okay, never mind. Mm. We'll do our best, you know. Yeah, it's, a, it's an extraordinary ask, really, to say you guys need to get over the fact that we enacted a coup in the Conservative Party, mm. uh, we closed down Parliament to to win. Yeah. We lied yeah. through our teeth day after day after day, and what we get as a result is decline and diminishment 
and more lies and deceit and this kind of Orwellian yeah. double speak. Why on earth would anybody get over in inverted yeah. that? Only somebody who doesn't love their country or who doesn't want a, a bright future would quote unquote get over that. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind who, who loves their country wants to see us progress and be powerful and open, open-hearted and open-minded and compassionate would do anything other, in my opinion, than get mm. active and fight it. I mean, yes, okay, fine. We, we didn't get people's vote, but there's still other, but we'll, we'll, we'll come to this. But I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. with you on the whole. Yeah, and why should we endure? It, it's, it, it, is, it makes you complicit, I think, as soon as you accept I that. Know, it's yeah. exactly what Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said. Yeah. She said, there can be no reconciliation yeah. without accountability yeah. And atonement, you can't, you no. know, that people have to have Don't. to say, I mean, this is why I, I feel a bit, I think one thing where I was talking about with Alex about it earlier today, actually, about where Remainers, sometimes Remainers or Remainers, whatever, get it wrong, is that sometimes they go after people who've changed their minds, like, oh, the farmers, oh, yeah, well, they should have known, we told them often enough, or the fishermen, and or Piers Morgan, you know, mm. having, laying into, piling in on Piers Morgan. Frankly, the more people that are prepared to say, I was wrong about this, the better. We should be well. Piers Morgan said he was wrong about something. I'm not sure. He said he's wrong about Trump. Oh well, I mean, yeah, but he's kind yeah, of. Yeah, I know, I know, but he speaks to a lot of people. Yeah. And to have somebody of that stature, to a massive audience, say, "I got it wrong." People mm. were telling me for ages, "I refuse to acknowledge it." I got it wrong. It's a very, very important thing for people to see. Because otherwise we stay entrenched in our tribes forever. And that is, there is no way through if we stay in our tribes completely. Mm. I mean, not that I'm going to join, you know, put even a foot in the camp of the, of the Brexiter camp, uh, you know, at all. But we have to, we have to allow people to change their minds and move on and welcome them and celebrate it. Oh, of course. Even if sometimes you have to have a you have to bit of your fingers crossed behind your back, but but you know you've got you have got we have got to be able to do that. Yeah, no, for sure. I totally agree with you, particularly around the, the farmers and, and the fishing community and stuff. I mean, um, when obviously March of Change were doing all the stuff around say British farming, um, the, and, and I was helping to run the social media at that stage, I just spent a lot of time just like having to hide. Remainer comment, you know, Remainer's mm. going, serves them right, I've got no, and it just, it's just like, ugh. Yeah, yeah well, tr- they shouldn't have voted. We're trying, to, we're trying to bring them on, be- we're trying to bring them on, we're trying to get them on side now, you know, it, it's no good. And also, they're victims, it's the criminals you yeah, want to get. Yeah, they are, to, to, to Go extent, for the criminals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the guys at the top. They're yeah, the exactly, that- the people at the top, yeah. go for the elites, 100% agree with you. Right, so yeah. I want to move on. So, no, my next question is, um, it's an open-ended question, I'll let you answer it in your way. Are you, Anthea, a Ramona? No, I'm not a Ramona. I'm a resistance fighter. <laughs> I'm not Ramoning. Okay. No, Ramoning, no, Ramoning is a negative place to be in. It's a whingy, unproductive. No, I'm not. I'm a. Well, I was nearly going to do a bit of an Ian Dunn swear then, but I won't. Um, no, I'm definitely not a, a Ramona. None of us are Ramonas. None of us are fighting on a Ramonas. We're, we're rebels. Rebels with a cause. Yeah. So, 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 to your mind, what would you say a, a remainer is in terms of um, the, the the community that that's the sort of co- you know coalesced in the last in the last four or five years didn't really exist before 2016. Mm. Obviously, there were lots of various tribes, you know, progressives and liberals and socialists and so on. And then mm. it, it all started to lots and lots of um, 
tribal allegiances sort of like ca like came together, didn't they? So, what is a remainer? And I said, and, and the second part of the question probably is, do you see it remaining as a as a community, or do you think it will start to disband as other policies and things and politics just just takes over from Brexit? Well, what I'm hoping is that it will form the nucleus of a it'll sort of harness this pro-European. But you know, we have got the biggest pro-European pro grassroots groups in the whole of Europe. Yeah. And there's no accident about that. And I think that we'll begin to pull in people with many, many agendas. So I'm not really focused on, uh, I suppose what I feel is that I'm a, I'm a European, I'm an internationalist, I'm a cooperator, I'm a cross-border, I want cross-border cooperation. And I want us uh, pulling together because of the, the really big thing that, well, the two big battles that we have ahead of us, defeating the rise of fascism, mm. saving the planet. You know, those are really the two. Uh, and I think that will bring in a whole load of people. And bizarrely, we're going to find ourselves, with, I think sometimes with some very strange bedfellows, like electoral reform. Mm. And, yep. you know... Yep. Farage et al want electoral reform and arguably if we'd had a representative parliament we'd never have had a referendum or Brexit in the first place no so um I mean I think so so now I'm beginning to sound like what the Romans ever done for us and it's like what are we ever <laughs> going to do but um so now I'm saying okay electoral reform defeating fascism I think Re-establishing truth and the rule of law is, a, is such a monumental, and the, and the yeah. power of true democracy is such a yeah. monumental task. But I think getting everybody to wake up to the fact that they're being gaslit almost all the time, being yeah, lied yeah. to almost all the time. Yeah. And yeah. we've got to keep calling it out. And that, I, mean, I suppose one of the things that's been fantastic for me personally is to have, is to be able to be involved in, in West Country Bylines because suddenly yeah. I've got a, a platform where we're not, and we're not you know we're not campaigning we're not campaigning to join we're not it's not a european perspective even it's an internationalist just truthful yeah. democratic yeah. voice yeah, yeah 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 and i think that's really and i think that will pull a lot of people into um hopefully a sort of coalition of of people who want something better and say you know we deserve better than this yeah I, th it, I don't know if you saw what happened in Hungary recently, where all of the opposition parties came together and fielded one single unified yeah. candidate against Orban. Mm. I feel mm. like we're not we're not quite at Orban yet, but we're not far. And I feel like that. Oh, I think, mm, I think we're not far at all. I think you're right. I think just literally having a unified group of people who want to reassert the sort of norms that existed prior to 2016: truthfulness, um, integrity. Yeah. Um, all, all of the, all of the, the, the basically the antithesis of the ERG. Yeah, European really, values actually. European values. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, everything that's mm. been everything that was that was written down in the charter that we helped to write. Uh, mm. Yeah, and and the and the literally the values that we teach in our schools. This is this has been one of my things that I've really struggled with. Is Ofsted would come into schools and say you need to make sure that you. Um, that your students are learning about democracy, the rule of law, tolerance and, and, and liberty. And I'm thinking yeah. democracy, the rule of law, tolerance and liberty, literally the government that's asking us to instill these things in our students are, are just 
running roughshod over all of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, driving a coach and horses through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so, second question I wanted to ask you, this is sort of like under the identity thing was, and I, I, I've asked a lot of Prairie U campaigners this, and I'm still not 100% sure what my answer to the question is, but what is it about the European Union as an institution as opposed to say just the continent of Europe and its language and cuisine and, and, and diversity and all the rest of it. What is it about the institution of the European Union that makes you so passionate? I, think I defy anybody to not feel passionate if they walk into Brussels or Strasbourg and just feel that sense of, I know it's going to sound terribly kind of ugh, brotherhood actually yeah. and hope and focus yeah. on the right things. Yeah. You know, when you walk through those corridors and you see people's offices and you see the posters up about you know, about bees, about the planet, about education, about opening doors and access to opportunity, all those, it just feels so positive and there's so much energy. Mm. And um, the caliber of people puts our, with some notable exceptions, exceptions, puts our MEPs to shame. I mean, these are proper heavyweight, hard hitting, super bright, multilingual people who, appear well you know when you meet them and when you watch them debating to really really care about building a better Europe and the fact that it was a peace project and the fact that it was about about sharing and collaboration and doing things better and I know it's got lots I'm not a wedgie you know I'm not obsessed with it as sort of as a thing in itself but when you see all those people together in that hemisphere and you see some of the things that are coming out some of the initiatives and some of the the projects that cross borders, that cross cultures, that break down the tribes and remind us that we are, we're just humans mm. on the planet and we have to work together. Mm. That is what I love. And then you come back and watch parliament and watch the ding dong over there, you know, in the public school environment and the, yeah. the, the appalling standard of, of understanding of anything. I mean, it's clear that Johnson and his lot have no idea how the EU worked, what mm. it did for I mean, now you're hearing stories that Boris Johnson is sitting down with businesses and saying, so um, what, what do you want me to do? Which regulations do you want me to burn? We don't want you to burn any regulations because we want to do business with you. Guess what? Oh, come on. There must be something. There must be something I can destroy as a benefit of Brexit. Because yeah, I read you that. Did yeah. what it, how it works. Well, it was always going to be like this, wasn't it? It was always going to be, let's just get out and then we'll kind of work it out afterwards. Because Wing was it, wing it. Do exactly. It in I mean, that, that, that's been his way. entire career to date, his entire life. Yeah. I don't know if you if you read what he was like as a student at Eton when he would he was just he had this blasé cavalier attitude. And I remember last was, minute, yeah, the, everything at the last minute, wing it. Yeah, mm. it's that it's that sort of um, old money entitlement. I mean, I know John mm. not, not not old money like Mog, but um, it, he's still got that Etonian entitlement, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And oh. also that the other thing is that that strategy. He, as somebody very, I think it was Raphael Baer, really absolutely nailed it in The Guardian when he said his strategy for dealing with everything is to leave it to the last minute so there is no option but to do that one thing because then it's, he doesn't have to make a choice. Yeah. Because it's forced on him. Oh, that's all that's left to me. So, oh, that's brilliant. And I, and he, and also it makes him the center of attention all the time because people are waiting to see what Boris will do. Mm. And he confuses that, or he is, as, sees that as leadership when all it is is being the bastard in the middle is going to fuck it up that is basically what it boils down to yeah 
yeah. everybody hanging on to wait to see what he will what he will do. Yeah, yeah. And then he'll wing it and tell and tell you that anyway, whatever he said yesterday, that's it's this now today. And I never said that. Like like Gove saying, we warned everybody there'd be disruption at the border. Yeah. Well, where's that tweet? Where's yeah. that missive? Doesn't exist. It's like that's it. All of that is bad enough in the context of Brexit and the future of the country and stuff. But in the context of COVID, that costs lives. Costs lives. And that we've had how many? Is it eighty odd thousand now dead? In the yes. UK as a result. Another fourteen hundred today. I mean, history. Just... I I hope history will be. I hope we. I hope we come to our senses and history will just be absolutely scathing mm. of. The ERG Johnson, this entire period, and also yep. to, to some extent the public in terms of their apathy, and also their just in some quarters their willingness to go along with it whilst knowing. And I think I don't I don't want to go over the top and compare and do the kind of classic um, what's it called where you where you bring up Hitler or the or the Nazis in like um, Godwin's law or whatever, but. Yeah. When, when you hear the testimonies of people who, who lived in Europe during the 1930s, they all say, we did sort of know, and but we just kind of went along with it, and we just let it bubble away, and it just got gradually worse. Obviously, we didn't know all of the really, really, really dark stuff necessarily, but we were kind of aware it was going downhill, and we just kind of just kept quiet and shrugged our shoulders. And I, I have felt for the last few years that we are in that kind of, um, we are kind of on that road now, on that journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know. Yeah, um, I'm going to move on because I've got I've got some other stuff I want to talk yeah. to you about. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's not you. It's me. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about the grassroots. So, the the referendum was won in 2016 by the two Leave campaigns, Vote Leave, so Johnson, Gove, and so on, and, and Leave EU, which was Farage and Banks. They, to my knowledge. Um, didn't have a massive army of grassroots supporters. They mostly relied on money from wealthy backers and, and a massive social media hyper-targeting, yeah, yeah. cynical hyper-targeting campaign going yeah, after those cynical Facebook people. Ads. Yeah, so mm -hmm. if you can win a referendum without having the grassroots, how important are the grassroots? I think they're really, really important when you're trying to explain to people or trying to get, motivate people, engage people in the whole democratic process. They've got to see people, they've got to see faces, they've got to be able to talk to people. And they've got to be, they've got to be people on the ground who understand what the local issues are. And I think if we had, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, the, you know, the, the Remain campaign would have been so very, very, very different. And, we'd have jumped on some of those lies and some of those those reasons, you know, that were given in Facebook ads and things, and we'd have headed them off at the past, I like to think, with, with, with enough people, with enough people to make a difference. After all, it was quite, it was close. You know, it's not as if we were completely, mm. um, you know, it's not as if it was a 70-30 vote or even a 60-40. And, and I think, um, it's especially important because, Allegedly, one of the reasons people voted the way they did was because they were sick of the elite power mm -hmm. um, imposing decisions on them. And, and therefore, to hear things from people on the ground and get involved with as big a cross-section of society as possible surely has to be a better way. Well, I mean, I think that I think the bit, there was that, that wonderful one, I can't remember her name, 
it'll come back to me, who ran the Black Votes Matter campaign. And she based, she said, I see campaigning, grassroots campaigning as electricity. It's, you know, you don't have to invent the power, the power's already there. You just have to find a way of giving it a conduit. Mm, and yeah. it's only people on the ground who can act as those, I don't know what you want to say, plugs or cords or something that lets the electricity find yeah. a way through yeah. and express yeah, like itself. That. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, um, and I like to think as we go forwards that, I mean, one of the things I posted on Facebook the other day was that we are now ambassadors for Europe. Mm -hmm. That is one of our key roles. We're here to show, you know, we are the, we are the good guys. We are the progressive guys. We are the people you want to hang out with and be with. And we represent the, we're going to, we, we have to represent the best of Europe, which is why I get annoyed when Remainers take pot shots at farmers or fishermen. Yeah. Because it's like, no, you've got to be, I mean, I don't want to go the whole kind of um, proselytizing, most evangelical route, mm. but but that's what we are. We are the we are the representatives within the UK of, of a yep. better of a yep. better future. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to be squeaky clean. If you're, this is the thing. This is why I always find it hard to campaign in the progressive space because the standards you're held to are so ridiculously high because what you're banging on about all the time are high standards so if you fall short even a millimeter you're gonna mm. get clobbered for it whereas if you're not banging on about values you're not banging on banging on about integrity and truth and all the rest of it like the erg don't then you can just mm -hmm. get away with anything donald trump literally bragged yeah, about the fact yeah. that he could shoot somebody in the street and, and he wouldn't lose a single vote and that's the difference if you're yeah. if if you're on your soapbox and you're trying to create a better world and you're saying our standards should be up there, if you fall short of those standards mm. by a tiny bit, then all of a sudden mm. you, you're a hypocrite and you just lose all your political capital overnight. And it's like, yes, oh, yeah, yeah. It's so hard. It's so mm. hard. Um, but anyway, that's something different. So but can I just very briefly go, go back to that thing we were talking about much earlier about this, the, this need to get political parties to, to just unify behind yeah. with one strategy. Mm. And I think this is, this is one of the things that I find, again, I find most distressing is how, quickly things that you know parties that didn't seem tribal as soon as there was an election suddenly became intensely tribal and yes. one of the things we had to juggle was masses of criticism oh you're a labor your labor supporters oh you're a liberal democrat supporter oh you're green I mean, none of these things you know i don't we're none of we just want johnson not to get in that's yeah. it yeah, yeah i don't care how you do it but one of you has you've got to not split the vote so when actually when people say oh isn't it terrible for us setting up another party i think no good let him do it because if he splits a bit of the tory vote that's fantastic he'll probably also likely I, split quite a bit of the labor vote i should think as well in the north yeah yeah maybe maybe yeah but um but i i would really hope that people that these that the parties who have got to keep your eye we kept saying this as a campaign when we were talking to other grassroots groups eyes on the prize then go distract, distract, well, eyes on the prize. What do you want? Go for that. Keep focused on that. And yeah. I would say, now, you know, what will people want in 2024? They will want earlier because there's some talk that he might go earlier because it's going to be such a shit show by 2024. Yeah. You want Johnson and the Conservatives out, this particular Conservative government. You want them out. So you have got to not split the vote. Mm. And you've got to commit to electoral reform after that. Which I think what you like. all, all but Labour have, haven't they, at this stage? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, it's labor is the key really here, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's when the tribalism comes in again because it, yeah, it does, it does. the post favors the top two. So, which, mm. which, and this is kind of why I wanted. I was. I've been asking the um, guests on the show to uh, to to answer sort of what a Ramona is, or you know, what a Remainer is, because I'm I'm curious to see if if people now sort of like relegate their pro EU cross party hat and 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 put their tribal you know labor lived down green hat on again and if that happens i i could you know it could be that the the energy dissipates and then hatchets come out and it starts to you know starts to fall apart a little bit so um i guess that's a, i guess that's a separate question though which is how do you prevent that from happening do you, do you have any solutions or do you just think carry on doing what you're doing with bylines and, and that sort of stuff do you well see? i think that and plus the team that again going back to the team that we've got at Devon europe is we are definitely not party political no which and helps. Yeah. it re really, really does help. Yeah. Um, and I think if anybody suddenly just developed very party political leanings, I'm afraid they'd probably be out because we just can't have it. You know, we've got to represent, including, including, you know, one nation progressive Tories, you know, people like the, the people who would vote for a David Gork or a, yeah. Um, yeah. Or a Dominic Grieve. Yeah. Or an Anna Subri, I mean, or Sarah Wollaston, you know, before she, the, you know, sensible, nice, generous spirited people. I mean, I used to, I voted Tory in my past. <gasps> I know, but I did. For which? For, the city, for, you know, I, I went, you know. Cameron, was it? Was it Cameron? Right? Was it Cameron? No, no, I'm talking, you know, way before then. Oh, way before, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah way before then. But, um, you know, we slot into our tribes and we do what our peers expect and I wasn't particularly engaged. No, I was going to say, there are some um, like PPCs, like lived in PPCs and green PPCs who have like headed up some of the grassroots um, local groups, haven't they? So I guess, I guess you can still be very tribal, um, but also run a a group that's cross-party but if, if you're just really good at switching hats and just being able to build separate teams and keep your tribe keep your, your is tribality a word no it's not is it <laughs> tribalism tribalism i guess tribalism yes we'll go, we'll go with that that works yeah yeah you're that also is a word. Also, aren't you? i forget to <laughs> have added it in and, yeah. um so yeah so yeah um but that's i guess that's just something that every campaign has to deal with to, to a certain extent, isn't it? Because you, you know, yeah. you're always going to have people who are part, party political, um, pretty much. So let's 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 move on. So um, mm. I wanted to ask you how. So when I was running Inspire You, one of the things that my brother and I, when we were talking about how we build the campaign and build our database, blah blah, blah was to get was to say, how do we move all the young people who we know, like seventy five percent, eighty percent, particularly like Gen Z are pro-EU, how do we get them to become activists? How do you cross mm. that bridge? How do you get them to that, that energy, which some of them have, but they're just not prepared to go on a street stall or on a march or something. What, was, what, what were this, um, the devices you use, the campaigning strategies you use to actually convert people from a supporter and get them to actually spend their Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays, you know, in, in the rain um, out on the street stalls? How do you get someone from a supporter to an activist? Well, I think, the leadership on each of the teams is, you know, on the street stall team. So people like Simon Chater, you know, he's got a following. He's got people who would 
do anything and everything, you know, that he asked him He's a to be part of that. He's the yeah, to be part of that team. Yeah. And and I think what what one of the things that we did was to was to put very good people in charge of each of the street school areas, mm -hmm. and they built up a very loyal. And people wanted to be part of it, you know, and there was a bit of a social afterwards. So it wasn't just all, um, all you know, all campaigning and all pressure. And also we, we had a sort of buddy system. We looked after people. We, we just made them feel part of the family and people yeah. wanted to be part of that. So I yeah. think that was pretty key. Obviously, communication with them. I think the other feeling is that I think people felt that Dublin Fury was a winning team, you know, it was a winning team. It was very powerful. It was, it was one of the ones that other people looked up to, that other people came to and said, oh, can we copy this? Can we borrow that? Can we have the, you know, we'd sometimes go and parachute. I mean, Alex went down and got Cornwall for Europe going, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Manuel said, you know, she said, well, I needed, I needed that injection of, yeah. of energy and experience to make me feel, yeah, we can do this. And I think that's I think that's that's quite a lot of it. Yeah, because it's worth it's worth noting as well that yourself and Alex and the team who started Devon for Europe, none of you were professional campaigners or, or had much <laughs> campaigning experience. Did, did Alex no. have any experience? None. None, none whatsoever. Right. Hadn't been politically engaged at all. Yeah. So, so basically learnt on the job how to be a campaigner. Yeah. Just, yeah. He just, he just, he just started it from absolutely nothing. Yeah. And was just, um, just single-minded. And, and he's a good strategist, you know, he's, mm. uh, and he thinks about what the other side might do or how people might react or, so I think that's what, one of the things that it's hard to, to sort of get over is, the campaign had two aims. It had it, one aim was actually to build the bubble, to bring as many people into the bubble as possible, and the other was to get beyond the bubble. And and I think once it's very very powerful. Once once somebody's been on the street stall and they've converted somebody, or got somebody to think twice about it, go, do you know, actually, yeah, no, I am gonna I am gonna sign up. Yeah, yeah. I I do actually want to sign up. I do want to hear from you guys. Yeah. Um, is very very motivational you know it's um in that respect it does have some it does have some links to sort of evangelicals standing on street corners you know yeah yeah i mean, that, I mean yeah. that, that's what evangelicals are though aren't they they are campaigners yeah the they're trying to yeah. um yeah spreading the word inspiring people and um making people feel good about doing something yeah 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 mm. um Last two questions then. So what now for the pro-EU community in the sense that sh do you think they should, for the time being, focus on not rejoining as such, but on combating the ERG and damage limitations? Or do you think that the, that the energy that we have, obviously within the community, we've got experience now. We, we know our arguments. Um, so... We're, we're blooded. If there was a referendum tomorrow, we would be so well prepared compared to 2016, for instance. Um, but do you think we should use that experience and that all, everything we've accumulated over the last five, six years, do you think we should use that now to just try and hold the ERG to account, remove them as soon as possible in the short term? Or do you think we should just be bang, 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 rejoin, let's just go? What do you think? My personal view is, and it goes back to that comment I made earlier about us being ambassadors for the EU. I think part of our part of our job is to 
we have a number of jobs. Provide a safe haven for kindred spirits and people who change their minds. Um, campaign for electoral reform, because that's going to be key. And if we want to join the EU again, we're going to have to have it anyway. We can't, you know, with this ridiculous first-person-post system, it's not, not acceptable. Um, be an ambassador for, the, for Europe and for the EU, and that means keeping on top of what they're doing and knowing what they're doing. So yeah. that you can say, well, this is happening in the UK, but yeah. in Europe, they're doing this, they've stopped this, or they're encouraging that, or they're investing in this area, that area. And I think those of us, you know, those of us who are active campaigners have a duty to keep on top of what's going on. Will the um, Bylines Network be involved in any of that sort of stuff? Well, part of our role is obviously to call out, call out the lies and to highlight what's actually happening compared with what we're being told is happening. Um, and that is, that's a very important part of the role um and that is a key part of the role i mean we're really along with bylines itself we're really doing the job that mainstream media because of its ownership and its agenda mm. cannot will not and you know yeah. just won't ever do well they can a lot of these are campaigning out the telegraph the express they're campaigning outlets aren't they let's be honest they're not yes well not. it's propaganda yeah it's exactly yeah. great yeah. propaganda so we have to counter that mm. And, and I think also, but one of the things in, in bylines is certainly, is it's very not, it's certainly not EU centric at all. No. It's about real, it's about human faces to the real issues that are facing the country. And, and some of those are Brexit related, some of them are COVID related. Yeah. Some of them are to do with investment in education or in access to opportunity or mental health or whatever. And I think, and we've just, we're there to say, yeah, your story is valid, you know, and it's, you know, let us tell it. Mm. Um, not that, you know, we're kind of not, it's not all do goody stuff, but it, it's about, it is, it's just about truth. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> journalists telling the truth. I mean, what a radical idea. Mm, uh, I know. So, um, what, so on, the sorry. Very, and, and about, and rejoining, I don't, I'm not crazy about re-anything re apart from rebellion and resistance um, <laughs> <laughs> and reading. Um, but um, I think it's about joining, actively joining, not, not any hint of going backwards or patching it up or mm. anything like that. It's about a positive decision to say, yeah, we are European, we are part of Europe, that is the block that with whom we share the most values, with those the most culture, with the you know just bloody geogra geographical proximity, yeah. and we want to be with alongside shoulder to shoulder with those guys, and they we want them. Eurozone, like the full the full. Um, Would we even have a choice? Would the EU be like you can well, have all your opt outs again? Well, the thing is, I think by the time we come, to, we're going to be probably worse than Greece so I think it would be very unwise to take us into the EU and into the euro anyway probably I mean we are going to be the sick man of super sick man of Europe again yeah um so that might not be an immediate thing but we will what you want is a is for everybody to feel yeah I'm in I'm in I want to be part of that I want that mm. So for now, we're not, we're not, we're just not going to talk about Schengen and the Eurozone because that's just not a vote winner at all. Is it? It's right? not, no, and it's not, it's not, not going to happen, you know. Not but happen. I thought, I thought the, um, I thought 
countries that join now have to join the eurozone oh yeah yeah but i'm saying i'm saying that actually joining again is not is not an imminent imminent thing not imminent if you had no. to put like a timeline like it, I, so some of the guests i've had on this have said so some have said sort of within a decade some have said sort of slightly over a decade but the the, the 10 years seems to be sort of like the average of what people think are you are you similarly inclined or do you think it's going to be longer or shorter well i i I probably, if Alex was it, he'd probably shoot me. I mean, because this is probably not what I'm, but I think it'd go one of two ways. Either I think we could find that we're very, very quickly begging to go back into the single market and the customs union. And before you know it, the business, business would be saying, actually, this is where we belong. You, If you could, you know, root out the ERG and all of that toxicity, um, you could find yourself in a situation where we're, Back in again much yeah. faster much yeah. much faster i mean that's it's a bit high in the sky but it's not impossible just do you mean like like incrementally like rejoin erasmus rejoin horizon then the next minute rejoin the customs or a customs union then re so that we just go through the steps like we'll do like the ukraine we'll have like a ukraine version then a turkey then a switzerland then a norway and all of a sudden we're just like we might as well rejoin again do you think that could happen well i know i think it could almost be a sort of big bang a massive backlash literally in one felt yeah just saying just that, that was a complete fuck up you know those yeah. guys are gone thank god they're gone we want them out you know they've yeah. re they've lied to us they've wrecked they you know potentially wrecked the country yeah. revolution and we're it you know we're it. that's it's i would attach a very very low probability to that but i don't yeah. think it's impossible no, no. um but yeah i'd probably be a lot long you know with the 10 year guys 10 years yeah I mean, what, what would you say is like worst case? I mean, worst case scenario, obviously, we never rejoin or the whole Europe burns down or something. But like, what what would you say is kind of like if, if you're being a little bit more conservative with your estimations? I mean, do you think it obviously it took the Eurosceptics like what 40 years? I mean, do you think it would take? Actually, you... my, my worst case scenario is that we have such a significant brain drain of European facing youngsters that we just gradually slide into a decline where we're just literally little england a money laundering tax dodging little yeah, yeah. satellite thing and, and anybody with any get up and go has got up and gone yeah and you know scotland's gone and ireland's reunified and the welsh wish they could go and they can't and and it'll be very, very, a very, very sad and possibly negative little place, you know, prison it, island. And, it, and it, that's actually, I mean, there are a lot of very good reasons to think that that could genuinely happen because there's, there's precedent in history of former superpowers just eating themselves alive with mm. toxic, you know, toxic nostalgia and, and just voting in plutocrats. And we are there now. We've got, we are. Yeah fully fledged plutocracy in the sense that the people in power currently do the bidding of one group of people only in society and that's literally the super wealthy and the people in the and the sort of illiberal elites that so yeah i mean and when you think when you see what's happening to education i mean that really really scares me is uh you know if we'd been i mean that's one of the things i'd really like to see i'd like to see european values and european uh, you know wanting to be european part of children's education and part of their opportunity set but what we're seeing and it's being exacerbated obviously by covid is 
even more um, barriers to social mobility and to opportunity than ever before. And I think that what this lot want, obviously it's a kleptocracy and they want a whole lot of dumbed down. You're lucky to get, you know, what, whatever we give you, you're bloody lucky to have it. Yeah. And anybody who's against it is gone because, you know, they've given up the fight. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very, very ugly dystopian vision, but it's, as you say, it's not impossible. It's not impossible, no. I mean, we, the Vic, Victorian England style uh, future, which Jacob Rees-Mogg um, and the ERG are clearly trying to rebuild, isn't it? But yeah, okay, right. I'm, I'm, I've taken up an hour of your time, so I, I just I want to end with a final thing. So if you if you were speaking to suppose I was a um, either I'd been apathetic in the past or I'd voted Brexit or something, and I'm changing my mind, what message would you give to those people? It, you, I'm I'm looking at Brexit and I'm looking at the situation in the country and I'm thinking. It's not going well. Maybe I should have engaged a bit more. I don't know where to go. Who who should I listen to? What what should what should I join? Um, what's your parting message to those to to those people? Ooh, that's a big one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> You've got to have your um, <laughs> your speech ready. Right. Find the kindred spirits. Yeah. Question everything. Um, think to yourself all the time. What if this was me? What if this was me disadvantaged by this development? What if it was my kids or my family? How would I feel? And um, just be prepared to care. Mm -hmm. You know, really, really um, be prepared to care and to not say, I don't, I mean, my, my kind of motto, and I've actually got a, a neon sign that I had made that says no if onlys. And really it's basically, I don't want ever anybody to ever say, what did you do? Or mm. I didn't do everything I could. I have to say, I have to know that I did everything I could. Mm. And I know that's a bit extreme, it's not for everybody. But I would say to people, just live your life with no if onlys. You know, if only I just cared a bit more, if only I'd said something, if only I'd written to my MP, if only I'd voted. Mm. Just, just care and do something that shows that you care. Mm. You don't have to go the full hog. You don't have to do what, what um, some of us, you know, extreme nutters, you know, yeah. give all our time and life to it. And but, if they live in um, Devon, then presumably join Devon join for Devon Europe. Europe. Join Devon for Europe, read West Country Bylines, share it with people and and just keep and be, a, and be an ambassador for European values. That's it, basically. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice, nice way to end. Well, um, Anthea, thank you very much. Thank you for giving uh, me an hour of your time. Um, and I guess all that's left to say is we gave it a good go. Obviously, we lost the general election in 2019, um, which sort of ended the People's Vote campaign. But the community lives on. And, and grows. And, and, and grows and grows. And young people, from my experience, talking to young people, they are bitter they are angry. They're not changing their views on this. So in my right. opinion, in my opinion, just to add to what you said at the end there, I can definitely see us building on this momentum and, re and rejoining or joining um, yeah. within, within the next 10, 15 years or so. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much, Anthea Simmons. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, James. Super. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Next week on the show, we have Femi, a fellow youth campaigner, one of the loudest pro-EU voices out there over the course of the last few years. 
Uh, we talk about the importance of young people in campaigning, why it was that there were so few young people willing to come on the marches, but also why young people are so pro-EU in general. We talk about the importance of grassroots campaigning and where we go next as a community. I hope to see you then. Thanks so much.